just want to read one verse right now at this point. We'll come to other verses later. So John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It is often said that we learn something new every day. And that is very true. From the day that you're born until the day that you die, you will be in a process of learning. Our desire to know, to comprehend, to understand, to deduce, to figure out is limitless. Any parent will tell you that a child's desire to understand and to ask often the most profound questions is boundless. Sometimes the questions are more awkward than profound. Like, Mommy, where do babies come from? <laughs> and big questions like that. And so we try to educate ourselves. In most countries, the literacy rate is rising. Uh, we have higher schools of education, universities, academies. Uh, we have uh, all kinds of places for further education because it seems to be our desire is insatiable to understand and to know. Of course, this has brought many benefits to mankind. In fact, just about every field of endeavor you can think of, man has excelled and triumphed in. And that is no small part to the fact that our minds have been expanded and enlightened. So God has given all of us a wonderful thing, a mind to think through and to figure out with and to understand the world that we live in. However, the enlightenment that the Scriptures speak of here and elsewhere has got to do with another kind of light, a deeper, more profound kind of light, a light of greater consequence, an inner spiritual light, the light of Christ, His light. And His light, He said, is the very light of life itself. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Notice here that Jesus makes a distinction between light and darkness between spiritual light and spiritual darkness. So no matter how much enlightened a man's mind might be, may be, if he doesn't acknowledge Christ as the light of the world, then he is in spiritual darkness. No spiritual light, no spiritual life. Cannot grow and bear fruit unto life eternal. A man is like a a plant that is starved of sunlight cannot grow and blossom and bloom and bear fruit if there is no spiritual light. And that is why, friends, this morning that a scientist, for example, can study all of his life, the great complexity of physics or of chemistry, 
or of biology or of neurology or anthropology or paleontology or any other ology you care to mention can study all of their lives and have great and brilliant intellects and yet be walking in spiritual darkness because they do not acknowledge the light of the world. And that is precisely why, why that Stephen Hawking, who is without question the greatest physicist alive on the earth today. You may not recognize the name, but I'm sure you've seen him on television. He is the, the brilliant physicist who is trapped within a body that's ravaged by neuron disease, who speaks through a voice synthesizer. And yet he's got a fabulous, wonderful intellect and yet that same great brain, that wonderful God-given mind, believes that this universe was created out of nothing, by nothing. Now we believe that God created something out of nothing. He believes, with all of his wonderful intellect, he believes that literally nothing created something out of nothing. <laughs> now, what takes more faith to believe? That God created something out of nothing or that nothing created something out of nothing? And then in his latest best-selling book, he contradicts himself. Actually, in the book, he contradicts himself because he says that gravity created everything out of nothing. But you can't have it both ways. For gravity is not nothing. Gravity is something. And where did gravity come from in the first place? If it didn't come from God, where did it come from? And so, you have this dilemma of brilliant minds. But yet when it comes to God and it comes to the things of God who walk in darkness... And so, this is why, for instance, we see in Romans chapter 1 that the Apostle Paul, writing here about such thinking, he said, For the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. How? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen to this. Professing to be wise, they became fools." And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, who worshipped the creation more than the creator. And that's a fitting description of many today. Of course, there was other great scientific minds in the past. People like Galileo, like Kelper, like Isaac Newton... Uh, and these were also, in their generation, these were the greatest minds in the world in their day. And yet they acknowledged the light of the world. 
In fact, Sir Isaac Newton, after he discovered the law of gravity, he wrote the most famous book in the history of all science, Principia Mathematica. And here's why he wrote that book. And I quote why he wrote that. Here's what he said. That it would persuade the thinking man to believe God. To believe in God. To persuade the thinking man to believe in God. So here is a man who was the most brilliant mind in his generation. And he wrote a book that rocked all science. The greatest science book ever written. And he did it expressly to get other great minds to believe in God. And so there are other great men, even in this day and age, who acknowledge the light of the world. And even they have the great natural knowledge, but they've got spiritual knowledge too. Now in John chapter 1, John's writing, and he's writing about Christ coming into the world. He said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, notice that personal pronoun, He was in the beginning with God. So it's not just talking about some vague, nebulous, kind of wishy-washy, airy-fairy, some kind of a thing. It's talking about a person. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, did not grasp it, could not fully understand it. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John, This man came for witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. This is talking about Jesus, by the way. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth." Notice how that John, in chapter 1 and chapter 8 of his gospel, uses the terms light and life interchangeably. John 1 and 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. John 8, man shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. His light is his life, and his life is his light. If you have his light, you have his life. If you have his life, you have his light. Simple as that. Light has to do with belief. Life has to do with behavior. What you believe affects how you behave. 
What you believe affects how you live. There's no question about that. What do you believe today? Whatever you believe is affecting your behavior. It affects how you live. And if we believe the truth and we walk in that truth, it will affect every single part of our lives on a daily basis. This is, in a big part, what it means to be a Christian. If we say we're walking in the light, then surely if we're a Christian and we're walking in the light, by the light of the world that is within us today, then it's going to affect every part of our lives from here on out. That's what makes the difference. Apostle Paul writing, you don't need to turn to all these. Apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. He said, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now notice something here. Notice what Paul puts together when he's talking about light here. For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now when he mentions that, he's going back to the creation story. God spoke in the midst of the darkness and chaos. God spoke and says, let there be light, and there was light. So he's talking first of all about the creation story. But then when he says, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the new creation story. And just as the first creation needed light, so the new creation, the first thing that happens to you is that you receive the light of God. And where do you get the light of God? How do you receive that? Well, he tells us who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, when we look at Jesus Christ, it's a mirror image of God. We're looking at God. How God thinks, how God acts, what God says, what God does, God's character, God's attitudes. We're looking at Jesus. We're looking at at God, it's like a mirror image. I'm not talking about facially and physically. I'm talking spiritually, obviously. John 12 and 35 and 36. Jesus speaking here also. Jesus said, this is to his disciples, a little while longer the light is with you, speaking of himself, Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Jesus in John 14, before he went away, he told his fathers, he told his disciples that he was going back to the Father. He was going to prepare a place for them. And if he prepared a place for them, he would come back again and receive them unto yourself. And they says, well, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus said to Philip, if you had known me, 
you would have known my Father also. And from now on you have known him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Philip says, show us Father God. He says, have I been with you all this time and you haven't recognized him? Do you not see him in me? Am I not a reflection of him? See how that makes sense then of that scripture who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is unquestionably the light of the world and if men walk in the light they shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. But then, it goes a step further. If you receive Jesus as the light of the world and as the light of your world personally, then you become the light of this world in Christ. Not just Him. He's gone back to the glory. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He will come back again one day for sure. Physically, He promises that. But until then, you and I, who have received Christ as the light of our lives, then we are the light of the world also. So Jesus said that we too are the light of the world. Apostle Paul alludes to this in Philippians 2.15, where he says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. So from the moment you become born again of God's Spirit, from that moment the light of God has entered into your life, spiritually speaking. And you become a light to this world. Paul puts it this way when he's writing to the church at Ephesus, to the Christians there. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So in other words, when people look at you, they should be seeing Christ in us, the hope of glory. They should be seeing the light of the world in us, shining through us. And if they're not, then we've got a problem. Say, David, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. We're supposed to be the light of the world. Sometimes we're not a very good light. 
Sometimes we try to hide our light under a bushel the Bible talks about. Sometimes we don't really let it shine as much as we should. And sometimes we feel. And others justifiably point the finger. But by and large and in the general, by our life, by our lip, by our words, by our deeds, we should be letting light shine. Someone said, don't expect God to use you as a lighthouse somewhere else if he can't use you as a candle where you are. Hmm. People say, I'd love to be a missionary in Africa. All right. Start giving out sun tracks around your doors. Go to your family and witness to them. Tell those people you work with about Jesus. Can't do it here. There's not much chance you're going to do it in Africa or anywhere else for that matter. So that would be easier. But you probably wouldn't do it anyway. Be a candle here. Be a candle where you are. If you're a candle where you are, that's all God asks for. He may give you something else above and beyond that, but at least that's the starting point, isn't it? There's a couple of ways that you and I can, of course, let our light shine in this world. You can reflect the light of God and you can refract the light of God. Because light, natural light, does both, doesn't it? It reflects and it refracts. Say, what do you mean? Well, light sometimes bounces off things. But other times, it goes right through it, doesn't it? Light's coming right through that window there. It's not bouncing off it. But if I put a mirror up, it would bounce off it, wouldn't it? And so in our daily lives, we should be a reflection of the light of God. And we should have light in us to come through us. Daniel the prophet put it this way in Daniel 12 and 3. He said, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and forever. Did you ever wonder about the reason for the sun and the moon and the stars? Did you ever wonder why they are placed exactly where they're placed? Do you ever wonder why, when you look up and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, exactly why they're placed there? Why not more stars? Why not two suns? Why not three moons? God has placed them there. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us exactly why they're there.
Genesis 1.14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and to let and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. So there's one reason. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Isn't that a strange... It's not a... <laughs> you know... The Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible, who's the author of Scripture. If you think that, you know, astronomers tell us that within the Milky Way galaxy, there are probably two billion stars. And there are billions and billions of galaxies, all with billions and billions of stars. And I know what the Holy Spirit wrote about all of that. He made the stars also. <laughs> No big deal for God. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament and of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And so the reason for the sun and the moon and the stars primarily is to give light on the earth. Just the right amount of light. You look up at the moon and you just take that for granted. Do you know that that is just a perfect reflector for sunlight on the earth? It's got the perfect reflectivity. If it was like Venus, for instance, you'd be blinded. You'd be up all night, a bit of daylight. It's just perfect for us. Well, I better not go on because I go on all morning about that. But here's the thing. This is a wonderful picture of the believer. We are seated, Paul says, in heavenly places with Christ, Ephesians 2, 6. And we are to give light on the earth. Let your light so shine before man. Hallelujah. Then, of course, as a refractor. Hold up a mirror, light bounces off it. Hold up a pane of glass, it comes through it. Hold up a prism, and it refracts it. It breaks it up into its various colors that make up the whole. And that's why when sunlight refracts through raindrops, you get a rainbow. You get the spectrum of light in the sky, a beautiful rainbow. And so you and I are like a spiritual prism. We are to scatter God's light wherever we go. And depending who we're with, and depending what we're doing, depending what we're saying to whom we're with, a part of that color of the light of God should come into their lives. And so this can happen through a variety of ways. And Jesus said that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what good works are they going to see? Someone said, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. I know it's a cliche, but it's true, isn't it? Of course, our good works don't save us. Salvation is the root. Good works are the fruit. P. 
people are not generally impressed with our great knowledge of scriptures, our dedication to the house of God, our status in church, what our job is in the house of God. The only thing that impresses them is, are we real? Do we walk the talk? Do we live what we say? That's what they look at. It's not how many scriptures you quote to them. If, you look, if they look at your lives and it's not lining up to what you're saying, I'm afraid it's not light they're receiving, is it? So are we truly Christian in deed as well as in word? And that's why Peter said in 1 Peter 2.12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, even your most bitter critic, at some point or other, if you live right and live godly before them, at some point or other they will be impressed. Do you know, I worked in a job for many, many years. It was in a factory. And, of course, when you're a Christian and you work in the public workplace, oftentimes you get slagged about it and made fun of and joked about. And, and, and for the most of it, it's just banter. and it's, it's, You don't take it personally or seriously. It's just a bit of fun. and you know It's you today, it's somebody else tomorrow, so you don't get too head up about it. But once in a while, you get somebody who really, really goes out of their way to make life as difficult as they can for you for no other reason than you are a Christian. And I had one of those such men, and every single, he waited on me. He tried to bait me every way he possibly could. And, and I have to say, at the beginning, I, I, from time to time, I got a little bit rattled, and then I realized what I was up to, and I did my best not to be rattled or not to be annoyed, and I just kept on going on and you know when the day I left he was one of the ones that came to me and he said to me he says David you know for all these years I've given you a hard time but he says you never retaliated and he says you walked the walk and I'm glad that it did and I don't know whether that man ever came to faith in Christ or not but if he didn't it wasn't my fault because I did my best to walk the walk before him so Peter says, have your conduct honorable among Gentiles. So that even if they do talk against you, that they will see your good works and they glorify God in the day of visitation. Hebrews 10, 24, the writer says, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. What good works are people going to see in your life? In Matthew 25 Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? By the way, the righteous will answer and say, so he's talking about believers here. 
Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of these, the least of my brethren, you did it to me. And then in Matthew 10, just back a little bit. Verse 40, he who receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. He who gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So, lots of ways that we can let our light shine, isn't there? Kind of neighbor. Visit someone in prison or in hospital. Take an elderly person out for a drive. Give a lift to somebody. Bring them to church. Offer to babysit for a single parent. Befriend a lonely person. There's thousands of ways in which you can let your light shine. Now we're almost finished. Just two more things simply about light. Light, first of all, is constant. Just over 186,000 miles a second. It's constant. It doesn't change. What does the Bible say about Jesus, the light of the world? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad for that? He doesn't change. This world is in a constant state of flux and movement and change. Here today, gone tomorrow, we see how quickly things can change in, in North Africa, in the Middle East, with all this global stuff that's happening today. Well, every time you switch on your TV, something of great magnitude has happened, quickly. But in the midst of all of that change, all that's transient and in motion and fluid, Jesus is our rock. He is our anchor. He is our pole star that is constant, that never changes. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. And finally, light, it is constant, it is supreme. Nothing can outshine light. No star in the heavens can outshine Jesus because he is the son of righteousness, Malachi said. No flower in the field can outshine Jesus because he is the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. No sculpture can outshine Christ for he is the living stone, Peter said. No philosophy can outshine him, for he is the wisdom of God, Paul said. No doctor can outshine him, for he is the great physician, Jeremiah said. 
Nothing in architecture can outshine Christ, for he is the chief cornerstone and a sure foundation, Peter and Isaiah said. No work of art can outshine him, for he is the altogether lovely one, Song of Solomon says. No author can outshine him, for he is the word of God, the incarnate word of God made flesh. (laughs) He is truly the light of the world. And if you are a follower of the light of the world, then you are a light in this world also. A little light. He is the great light. And as the moon is a reflection of the sun, it is no light within itself. Only the light that the sun gives it. And so you and I, within ourselves, are nothing. But in Christ, we are light in this world. Amen? Let's pray.